0: I'm Stefan Sittig and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. Edward Giro is a veteran of the Washington theatre community and a 16-time nominee and four-time recipient of the prestigious Helen Hayes Award, DC's equivalent of the Tony. He began his career as a classical actor playing some 75 roles for over 36 years at the Shakespeare Theatre Company including acting alongside Stacy Keach and other greats. He has made a smooth transition to contemporary work, bringing in authenticity and precision to roles as disparate as Mark Rothko in Red, Harry Brock in Born Yesterday, Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, and Antonin Scalia in The Originalist, a role that was created for him and that he toured with, culminating in an off-Broadway run. He has also appeared in several musicals, including The Pajama Game and Newsies at Arena Stage. He is professor of theater and head of performance for the School of Theater at George Mason University. And he has recently started a Facebook live series called Cooking with Eddie, La Mia Cucina, where he shares recipes influenced by his Italian-American roots. Hi Ed.
1: Hi Stefan, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank,
0: thank you. you for inviting me, and thank you for being here. I think this is great that we're able to talk to you. You know the circumstances aren't the best, but um, the good news is that we're we're able to make this happen, and we're able to talk to you a little bit about your um, your journey so far, <laughs> and all the wonderful great. things yeah. things you've done. So um, obviously, you know, um, I'm talking to you because I'm uh, this podcast is about leading contemporary figures in American theater. And um, in the D.C. area, I think that you qualify. <laughs> and oh, it, it pretty I much, it. yeah, pretty much anywhere. But in D.C. area, you're very, very well known. And and, and so um, we think of you here, I think, as, as a, a actor of tremendous breadth and and that can do pretty much everything. That's what I've noticed um, from musicals to classical theater to contemporary. And, um, of course, your classical work is what we maybe, most people know you most for because of what you've done, the breadth of it, how much you've done. 75 roles in over 36 years, uh, that's just at the Shakespeare Theatre Company, but you've also worked at Folger, Washington Shakespeare. Pretty much if there's Shakespeare, you were there in DC, it seems. So how did you, take us back a bit, how did you get started with your career in class? What what appealed to you about classical theatre? Or was that how you uh, started, or yeah, what? Yeah,
1: great question. You know, I I, I started uh, in, in in high school actually, when uh, in the the sort of late sixties, early seventies, which I thought was the last last flowering of, of theater education, uh, hmm. where you could take uh, curricularly, you could take drama classes and speech classes and so forth, and and I got myself involved in in drama class and. Uh, the very first play I did in high school was a Greek tra- tragedy. It was uh, Trojan Women. It was 1968, so it was an anti-war play. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it was a response to Vietnam. And then a year later, the the teacher uh, uh, chose Midsummer Night's Dream, and it did that. And we did a whole breadth of, of plays. From we did Mod, we did Shakespeare, we did the Greeks, we did Arthur Miller, we did, and and also musicals. So that was a uh, that's how I sort of formed. Uh, and then uh, continued in college, but I, I, you know, I grew up with the likes of Olivier and, uh, uh, you know, and Brando, and, mm-hmm. and trying to find the, the the bridge between sort of the so-called American approach and the, and the English approach. But I knew uh, that the classics, uh, like ballet, if you wanted to do anything else, you had to learn how to do the classics because it was the most challenging. And I, I was fortunate enough—the same teacher that uh, had us do Shakespeare, my first play was *Midsummer Night's Dream*. Uh, took me into New York to see Hamlet, uh, where I saw Stacy Keach play Hamlet, and what turned out to be in my view, probably the most uh, the greatest landmark Hamlet of the 20th century, with with Stacy Keach playing yeah. Hamlet, and uh, Sam Watterson as Laertes, and uh, Colleen Dewar's as Gertrude, James Earl Jones as Claudius, Raoul Julia yeah. as what Osric. A, what a cast. Uh, I mean, I and, and Barnard Hughes as Polonius, and and and, and Tom Aldridge and, and Charles Durning, who were doing championship season in Sticks and Bones downtown on Broadway mm. uh, had been in the public, would close their show and get on the train. At 11.30, they showed up as the, as the gravediggers. Uh, uh. I, I knew I was seeing something really, really significant, and I went back and saw it several times. And I thought, I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I wanted to be like Stacey Keach. so I I, I I knew the classics was the way to go. And then after college, I would got myself involved uh, in the company called CSC Rep. Uh, we did uh, classics, my first... I was in a company with Ron Perlman, um, Ed yeah. Ciscarelli, Stuart Vaughan, who was directing for Pap, was was also in the company there, and we did Measure for Measure and On Wee's and and so forth. So the classics was always part of my uh, my formative uh, years, and then I studied in New York with a woman who taught at RADA yeah. uh, in a group, and um, she eventually uh, directed a couple of plays out of town, and invited me to be part of that, and I ended up uh, being seen by folks at the Folger and, um, mm. uh, they invited me to Washington. And that's, I said, well, I could either stay in New York and look for work or stay in Washington and, and do the work I was trained to do. I studied Shakespeare in my postgraduate work and all the classics. Uh, so, and
0: so, it stuck. You, so you went from New Jersey to, to New York and then to DC, is that's that right. your trajectory? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. uh, New Jersey for, for, for high school and college.
1: That's right. Went to Montclair State ah, College and this. then uh, started transitioning into Manhattan uh, right after I finished college and lived in New York, tending bar and, and, you know, chasing the brass ring and going out of town for this or doing that showcase. Hmm. Um, and then uh, the gig at the, I had actually worked, my teacher, Ada Brown Mather, who was teaching the, the RADA, she had taught RADA, and she was also Joe Papp's voice and text person, and then took over a voice program at Juilliard. Uh, she was directing, and, and we did Arms and the Man at the hmm. Barter Theatre, so we went to the Barter.
0: Ah, Virginia, and, yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, then the Barter did a season, uh, a winter season, at George Mason University. <laughs> we opened up the, the Harris Theatre. We had the first production in the Harris Theatre in
0: 1981.
1: Oh, wow. And, yeah. And Talk about full said, circle, huh? Oh, it's crazy. And then <laughs> uh, Kathy, we, we did the Corn Green, <laughs> and I was playing the boy. And, mm-hmm. and Catherine Fly, Katie Fly, yes, uh, Great Washington's uh, also uh, well known titan,
0: to DC right? audiences, yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. She was doing the. She was helping with the Welsh accent, right? Mm-hmm. And and her close friend was John Neville Andrews, who was running the Folger Theater Group. So opening oh. night, she has John come to opening, and then after the show, John came down to the dressing room and said, uh, "Would you like to join the company?" And that's how that happened.
0: Wow, that's so, pretty so well, amazing.
1: It's crazy because George Mason and, and, and Folger and, and Washington are all sort of entwined.
0: Yeah, and they're parts of your life uh, today, too. Yeah, so exactly. it's been, it's kind of full circle for you. And and same with Stacy Keach, right? So you, you first yeah. saw Stacy Keach, and was that at the Delacorte? Was that the. I
1: was at the Delacorte, yeah. Wow. Yep. And yep. so
0: that was your first kind of. You you, you you felt inspired, and then you later got to work with him.
1: That's right. So that—that that, that must that have been amazing. I think it was probably like the mid '70s. Yeah. And and then uh, he came down to play Richard III the Third at the Shakespeare Theater at the Folger in 1990, and mm-hmm. um, we became fast friends. And every Shakespeare play he did after that, I was involved in. Most of it was here in Washington, uh, and then actually all of it was in Washington. And then uh, it was uh, in 2006, which would have been. Oh gosh, what's this, is 30 years later,
0: 25, mm-hmm. 20 years yeah.
1: later, right? 30, 30 years 40 later, years, years, yeah. To play, to play Lear and, and to be his number two as a mm. gloster in Lear, so it was a great journey.
0: That must feel good. Uh, it must be satisfying. So, but Very. the. So, well, you're talking a lot about, about classical pieces and in, in the theater that you do in, in classical work. Um, when it's How do you approach those roles? Because those of us that are you know looking from the outside, and watching you and and seeing how you guys do this kind of work with all the verse and the the language. Um, how do you approach a classical role and, and what is your process? Is it and you mentioned something about Brando versus um, Olivier or you know, that whole everyone knows about that the divide in, in, in acting anyway, but how did you approach it and what what was your take? Well,
1: there you know, I think it's been the project of, of my generation of actors to sort of find the meld of those two approaches—you know—can you be can you be connected internally and have technique at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so you learn the technique, which is what I studied, uh, to understand verse and understand the mechanics of it, to understand the sort of the codex of, of the, the the directorial embedded information that Shakespeare leaves behind, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of rhythm, in terms of. Um, you know, scansion and all of that, and, and rhetoric and all those things, and how he writes to a certain kind of uh, vocal patterns. Uh, and you understand that, and those, and those are the clues, to because it's really the, what that is, even though it's on the outside, it's the evidence that we have of an internal experience. So... It works both ways. It's sort of inside out and outside in, right? Mm -hmm. So you have, you you do the work of objectives and actions and all the Stanislavski stuff, uh, you know, the Stella Adler stuff, and at the same time you see where that was in, you know, Stanislavski didn't make this up out of whole cloth, right? right? I mean, you know, Shakespeare was doing that already Mm -hmm. in, in, in a different kind of way, where, well, let me give you an example. My favorite thing in the world was the days when uh, we were, I was working with Stacy. we were doing a Scottish play. And mm-hmm. I was playing Macbeth, and we were performing that at the Shakespeare Theater. And during the day, I was at the Studio Theater in Washington rehearsing for Sheenan in Three Sisters. <laughs> thought thought, I'm doing Chekhov in the daytime and Shakespeare at night. Amazing. And I thought, I get it. And it suddenly became very clear to me that... The, the connection. Well, the, yeah, the internal experience is exactly the same. Mm. In Shakespeare, everything is verbally explicit. And in Chekhov, the language is never enough. Mm. But, the, but the inner experience is exactly the same. Yeah. So uh, just, you know, it's been a great uh, challenge and satisfying journey to sort of, you know, blend those two things and find the balance between the two.
0: So you've always, um, so you came, and also when you came, came up as an actor, you were sort of right there in that sort of, the classical was sort of not really Classical acting, quote unquote, was maybe not as trendy, and what was trendy was sort of the Brando, the the actor Studio, that that sort of uh, approach. Right. And you were right there in the middle, so you, you took well, you took a bit of both. It sounds like, and 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 you you worked them both together. Yeah, it was be.
1: funny because I was you know I, I, when I came down here, I kept you know, I was with the, the company for ten years, and that's all I did. You know, at that time in D.C., there were what five or six theaters, and if mm-hmm. you were part of a company, which I was. You were sort of you were known as a as a Folger or Shakespeare theater actor and the folks at arena like Bob Prosky and also were known mm-hmm. as arena actors and there was no crossover, mm-hmm. right? And that didn't happen until the nineties when things when you know the, the, the company sort of changed, so forth. Yep. But I would always joke said, so, you know, where do they what do they see me do Arthur Miller? People will really think be, I can act now. <laughs> right. You know, it used to be the other way on if you could do Shakespeare, right? But I did that, you know, so I thought that was kind of funny.
0: Well that is and funny. Did, you know? that is, so there's not a different technique when you're working contemporary. Yeah. I and mean, the language language is there, but it's a slightly more contemporary language, but that's really the only, that has rhythms, its own rhythms too, I mean.
1: Right, right? and there are gaps to fill, right? There's a lot of sure. that information that's left out that the actor has to per- connect the dots. Mm-hmm. With the classical canon, everything is verbally explicit. You only play what's on the page, mm-hmm. right? There's, yeah. no, there's no something
0: else. Well, how about, I'm really curious, and this is because my my background is in musical theater. So I'm really, I love it when I go to see a musical At arena and you're there and and you're you're acting in this role where you have maybe not a lot of text at all the exact opposite of shakespeare because you know musical theater books tend to be you know small there's not a lot of dialogue because you have room for the dancing and the singing so um and you do the singing too i've heard you and it's very nice um but but what what um the acting part how do you approach something like that where you have you know maybe a page of dialogue
1: well, yeah, you know, it's heightened text, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. very—it's there, there are analogies to Shakespeare. You know, instead of a, a soliloquy, you're doing a song, mm. and you know, uh, the, the the speaking isn't isn't sufficient, so I have to go into song. So it's an emotional ramping up. Uh, it's it, there there are analogies, and I, and I I try to use it. Um, I started out doing musicals, um, uh, which I love doing, and mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, scares the heck out of me, and I <laughs> uh, and it still does. Um. But uh, yeah, I think of it very much like Shakespeare, you know. And if you bring that kind of uh, mindset to it, then you you, mm. you, you you find the story. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's very economical. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to get a lot done with a, with a few words, but you can get it done. It's all there. All the dots are connected.
0: It's amazing, and and to look at your sort of your experience and and the roles you've played so far in the theaters you've played at, you really have um, been able to to span so many different styles, which I think is great, and so many different types of theater, and you really didn't get stuck in the classical uh, at all. I mean, you did the classical for a long time, but in the meantime, you also were expanding your contemporary um, roles. You were doing musicals here and there. You were doing basically... So, How do you decide what you're going to do and what you're not going to do? Do you have... I know not always as actors do we even have that luxury, right? You take whatever role is paying, uh, but did you just... Was there anything you use as a barometer to decide other than economy?
1: Well, that, well, that, well, it, it, you know, listen, I'm very grateful that Shakespeare paid my bills for a very long time. I'm very <laughs> grateful. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I, as I started to spread out and work with uh, Joy Zim and at the studio, uh, yes. um, you know, offers came a little, you know, mm. uh, I would audition for things and and there'd be projects and, and it was expanding my range a little bit and, and I'd go to Olney and do some Arthur Miller and, uh, you know, and some Shakespeare as well. Uh, But uh, uh, I went, my my mentor, one of my mentors in college said, you know, go where the work is. Mm. And that's what I did. Now, over a series of decades, it became different where uh, it became a question of, you know, what project, who's directing, uh, where is it being done? Uh, Mm. Is it something I've done before? Where's the challenge? And that's, that's only happened, say, in the last... 10 15 years it's taken a long time to get to that place and you know and it's been in washington primarily uh, as you say, you know you, you, you be here you're here long enough and uh, you sort of be, by default you get to be sort of one of the you know the deans of the of the community yes uh, and you are,
0: you are know, definitely one of those uh, and we've seen you in just so many like you said it's everywhere you really have performed everywhere including some of the smaller theaters you don't you know it's not about that for you I see it's about the work you're following the work, work yeah. yeah. And the work yeah uh, and so you know,
1: when, 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 when 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 I got a call from Signature to to do Sweeney Todd it's like oh great I've become the gimmick you
0: know, <laughs> you know
1: That'll be interesting. Let's bring a Shakespearean
0: actor in here to do this, this musical. But I mean, Sweeney, in many ways, that is a very Shakespearean role. Revenge. Yeah, yeah. I could see. Yeah, that's, I didn't see your, your Sweeney. You know, Len
1: Carey is yes. A Shakespearean actors. So exactly.
0: Yeah. And that's always the the challenge when you're you're when you're one of those musical theater fans. You're listening, do you want do you want the singer? Do you want the actor? Do you want both? And it's always that, you know, Len Carrew versus George Hearn. Who do you want? If you want the acting, strong acting, <laughs> Len You If you want to hear the beautiful right. voice on the album, maybe it's George Hearn. But um, right. it, it really is 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 great when you can do both. The so speaking about all this wide range of things that you've done, all the different roles that you've played, um, and everyone probably asks you this, but I'm going to ask a little bit differently. Um, what role or roles have you found most challenging? I'm not as interested in what you like the best, but what do you find most challenging and why?
1: Uh, so This is a great, great question. Um, you know, there were there were roles, some of the most confounding roles are in the, in the Shakespeare canon, trying to figure them out, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in, uh, you know, roles like Bolingbroke was, uh, you know, finding out what that was all about. Where he doesn't talk a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's he up to? Such hidden agendas, things like that. Uh, 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 Nixon was was a, was an interesting, challenging role because, uh, you know, everyone knows who he is. And, uh, when you're, you know, you don't think of yourself as as, as a Nixon and, and, and finding the behaviors and so forth. That was, that was challenging. But, you know, roles like, oddly, the one thing that, you know, I, a, a little f- funny little role in As You Like It called Oliver Martext, mm-hmm. which is a, a little bit of, you know, it, it's just this wacky character. You go, what is this? It's, you know, it's not a throwaway. What's he up to? I mean, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a joke and it's a, so forth. But, you know, those kind of roles that w- requires a certain kind of comedy, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I was ready for at the time. I just, you know, I didn't think of myself as a comedian, which I think was – not the because I love comedy, hmm. um, but it's a certain kind of comedy. So things like that are challenging, and and, and, and roles like, uh, uh, you know, in in in, in newsies, uh, culture, yeah. and, and balancing. You know, we know he's a bad guy, but in real life, he's not the bad guy in, <laughs> in the historical right. take. So finding the balance of where do you fit inside the the scheme of the of the actual storytelling inside the play, mm-hmm. and and balancing that with. History. Same thing with Nixon. Same thing with Scalia. Same thing with Rothko. But those, those are the, those are the roles that you know, S- S- Salieri was. Just a Salieri damn near killed me because it was you know so many freaking words. Yeah, I never stopped.
0: That, that's a big one. Yeah, in Amadeus. and
1: Amadeus. And you're, and you're putting it together in three and a half or
0: four weeks. Right, right? the speed with which and you have to... Right, it's crazy. And then you only live with it for usually, what, four weeks in regional yeah, theater? four or five weeks. And after. in D.C. theater, it's usually four or five weeks, and that's it. You don't have a year to, to, to live with it. Um, so you, you mentioned Scalia just now. So I, I'm, we, I wanted to talk to you a bit about the originalist play that was an original play about uh, Antonin Scalia. And much more. It's not just about Antonin Scalia. It's about a lot of things, right? That um, right. I saw at Arena uh, Stage about, uh, uh, about Supreme Court uh, Associate Justice Scalia, uh, where you played him. And, and what did you find most interesting about either the play or, or playing him? Or and, 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 and I wanted to ask this. I know you, you probably have a little, uh, How are you similar? How are you different? And, and you know you don't have to go into too much um, stuff, but I just wanted to know how you approached that role, and also was it difficult uh, because of the? Did you find you were similar to him or different, and what? How did you balance? It's hard to play a real person. It is. It is. But I, I had.
1: I had. Fortunately, I'd had a little uh, uh, experience before coming to that role, having done. Uh, uh, Nixon, yes, having the, uh, Mark Rothko, these yeah. sort of historical characters. Salieri being another one too, yes. Uh, but doing the research, even even the Shakespeare, doing Henry V, back in the day. So so uh, the research phase is really uh, exciting. In this case, it was uh, new. There wasn't any model. It was the first time i had done a play that was written uh, a new play, and it was written with me in mind. So mm-hmm. that was very exciting and challenging. But and and then having the opportunity to, to spend some time with him and be introduced to him mm-hmm. was uh, a, a, you know just uh, uh, it was terrifying um <laughs> I but i wanted to you know do some research and but and i found i what i found in the research before i met him was that i recognized our cultural uh identity and the similarities his story is very similar to to mine his his father is an immigrant you know which puts him sort of with my dad mm. whose father is an immigrant but it was his grandmother was an immigrant which puts him in my generation so he's like a mm. second generation and a third generation yeah. american uh roman catholic born and raised born in new jersey as mm. and i was born and raised there and and i said oh my gosh I, I recognize you know what it means from a cultural point of view to ascend to that level of government which is the highest you know uh, appointed and elected. Uh, Italian American in American history, right? Yeah, um, that's significant. Um, and then with his approach to the law, I just you know my job as an actor is to sort of understand it, uh, whether I agree with it or not, because uh, we're empathy uh, machines, right? We have to. Yes. We have to. We have to love the characters we're playing, even if we don't agree with them, and that's that may be the case in you know, many ways, in Case with with you know and me, but. What I discovered was that there was an analogy between his approach to the law and my approach to uh, Shakespeare, and I, I shared that with him. And I said, you know, uh, this textualist thing is this like what I do with Shakespeare, where it's about semantics and syntax and rhetoric and what do these words mean, what are the original meanings? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I said, okay, so this this originalist thing is that like there's a thing in literature called historicism, where we look at what happened during the uh, Shakespeare's life, and maybe we can see some remnants of that in the plays, and the impact of you know, mm-hmm. what meant, what was going on in the, in, the, in the sort of the zeitgeist of the time. Does it, is that originalism it, Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Okay, so we never had to talk about that again. Uh, and I said, oh, I get it. That's so I have an, an, an analogous mm-hmm. way to, to understand, yeah. and I can bring all my understanding to it, and that's how it happened. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the play, the, the man in the play, is different than the, the man of law. Mm-hmm. Uh, did all that research, but we, you know, had to tell the story of the play, which is a uh, it wasn't it was not a bio drama, It was never meant to be. It was a play about civil discourse. Yes, and is, is it possible to get people from the diverse ends of the sp- political spectrum into in a room and have different political opinions and still uh, respect each other as human beings? And I think that's what John Strand was was able to do. And I think that's why the play was so successful because it surprised people at a time when, Mm. you know, the the civil discourse was breaking apart. In a way, it modeled the relationship between uh, Scalia and Ginsburg.
0: I was about to, yeah, I was about to say that for me, that part of the play was the part that I could, it was easier for me to approach, to get into, which was the, when uh, his friendship, his longtime friendship with with, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? And their love of, mutual love of opera, Right? Was that? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's also Italian. So there you go. (laughs) You know, I mean, and and,
1: and their mutual love of the Constitution of the United States. Oh yes, I was going to say food, food, but (laughs) food is. Yeah. No, you know, I said to after after he passed away, I I did Mm. an event with Justice Ginsburg, and I. Gosh, I've known her for many years. In fact, we she played on the Shakespeare Theatre stage many years ago, twenty-five years ago. Yeah, she
0: likes theater a lot, and she performs whenever she can She's in little bit parts. I've seen her.
1: Yeah, we yeah. were doing Henry the Sixth, mm. and uh, and she was in the cast, and she got to say the line. The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. <laughs> do the sure. house down.
0: Um,
1: and and she remembered that twenty-five yeah. years later when I saw her in Chambers. But, yeah. Um, but I was doing an event with her, and I said after he passed away, they were grant they were given the civil civility award from a university in, in, in Pennsylvania jointly yeah. he, he posthumously and I, I said to Justice Ginsburg I said you know you and Justice Scalia were the most eloquent voices of Jeffersonian and Hamiltonian democracy of our generation mm-hmm. and, and, and she said you can come to the Supreme Court
0: anytime you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> she liked that. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure she did. I mean, yeah, it was great. And that was the part of the play that really appealed to me and how you played the humanity. Well, obviously, he's a person, the humanity of him. But it's not easy to, to sit there, you know, to, to play that role when there may be a lot of people sitting in the theater um, that didn't like him. Or didn't know him, obviously, but didn't like his views, didn't agree or share his his interpretation of of the Constitution, and including you know people who may have felt that some of their rights were were lost uh, because of some of his um, actions. So to be able to play that and for for me, uh, to be able to walk away from that performance and go, okay, I've learned something more about this guy and 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 a little bit more about what made him tick. I don't have to love him i don't have to agree with him but i see him more as a person and yeah. and that was was amazing the play does it so wonderfully right. and you were so fantastic in it and so you did that play in florida chicago it it, it was and then off broadway california yeah and then
1: ultimately in new york twice in dc
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has legs. Is it something that you it, are, are there other productions that may be coming that that uh, you know I don't know
1: uh, I, I don't know would you uh, want I've to do it again? I would I would I'd be very happy to do it again. You know it was it was certainly of a of a moment mm-hmm. uh, and, and I don't know whether we've gone past that moment but at the mm-hmm. while we were doing it those three years uh, with with uh, you know Bill Bergerfell the year that we opened the play, and the play being about the Windsor decision. I mean, it was just mm. right mm-hmm. in the pocket. Yeah, uh, um, you know, it, it may be we may be past that now. I don't know. Yeah, was... I think I think it's a fantastic figure. I mean, you know, it's like doing Nixon. These are all yes. really, you know, part of what we do in Washington. I think is really exciting when you're doing plays about America, about politics, uh, mm-hmm. with access to people like Scalia, to people like Justice Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. they're they're in our audiences they're they're in our neighborhoods they're in our grocery stores and and they love coming to the theater and we and we as artists have the opportunity to speak directly from our own discipline about be part of the conversation about what America means and that's an extraordinary opportunity
0: yes it's wonderful and and and, and you've added certainly to that with Nixon and Scalia, and I'm sure there'll be others. You never know. I mean, there's other stuff coming. I'm sure that you'll have to play from a political angle. This is D.C., and politics is king. <laughs> and and like you said, they are always in the audience. Um, it's amazing the the people you see sitting as an audience member. The people I've seen sitting next to me can't believe they're there. But uh, at arena at, at 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 Shakespeare Theater. So yes, those are your their people that you're. Some of them are your people you're talking to. So, um, so. Tell me a little bit more about um, so you've talked about your approach to role and you've talked about some of these roles that you've played um, Falstaff at the Folger, which was one of the more recent ones going back to to big roles um, uh, which you got amazing reviews for um, and um, the production but but you particularly um, what what do you like most about Falstaff and what is what kind of a view do you have of him versus maybe some other people that may have done it differently?
1: It, yeah, it's interesting. The, uh, I, I never, never thought I would that was never on my radar. It was never a role that I, I, I thought I'm gunning for this part, because I, you know I'd done the histories mm-hmm. uh, from Richard II through Henry V, and I was always either a king or a rebel uh, on the political side and never in the Eastcheap world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, so, although I'd seen Great Falstaffs, been in plays, you know David Sabin and Ted Van Grite mm-hmm. and Stacey Keach, I played the King with Stacey Keach. Uh, um, mm-hmm. You know, we never, we'd, but we never meet; those two characters never yes. meet. Uh, uh, so, when the opportunity came, I thought, okay, and, and I, I wanted to go listen to the play again and sort of find my way through it. And I, what I realized about Falstaff, I'd done a lot of reading about it over the years, of course. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Bloom, Harold Bloom, mm-hmm. Falstaff is sort of the, the, the preeminent character in all of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has, you know, the Wells certainly.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about the invention of the human, the Harold the Bloom? Of yes. The human, That's um, a great book. Yeah. I, was, I great think book. all students should read that book, all acting do students do. and all people, <laughs> all humans. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, you know, it's, it's one, one person's view, uh, but mm. the, well, the whole notion. You know, there there there's the Asimov, uh, you know, guide to the plays. But, mm. but one of the things that uh, 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 Bloom talks about is that uh, the first character that a fictive character on the road to Falstaff is a play called King John, mm. and the history play with a character called the Bastard, who was the only good bastard in all of Shakespeare. And I happen to play that role mm. in the Shakespeare Theater. Uh-huh. And I, I and, and Bloom would say that's the beginning of a fictive character in a history. And it's really the voice of the playwright. Mm. And so now we've come to Falstaff, who is all of life. And when I saw the play uh, again and listened to it, I went, uh, the thing that struck me was his, here's an elderly man who is facing his mortality. I I get that. Um, And hoping to have Mm. one more day of impunity, one more drink, (laughs) I'll stop tomorrow. One more cigarette, I'll stop
0: tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, so, I, so I I noticed this, he really wants to reform, and yet every any chance he has to fall off the wagon, he will. Mm. But in this conversation, and he has a conversation with God, so I noticed all these things, that, that was sort of like the impact, the, the influence of doing Salieri. Several times he's talking to God in the play. Mm. And, and, and the thing that struck me the most was, was the phrase, give me life, uh, when he's on the battlefield, and he wants mm. to live, he wants to live one more day. Mm. And, and to feel it and live it, and I—I I, I understand that. And I mm. thought that's the power of the guy. That's what we understand. And the sort of bitter resentment to the the the, the, the ruse of what honor is. is this is sort of this—you know—he has this sort of cynical, skeptical uh, viewpoint of the world. That that's that's a that's a bill of goods. It's just about <laughs> staying alive. And, and, Living
0: another day. Yeah. And maybe that's why he wants to be around Hal or around younger people. Because you get that yep. that you remember what it's like to be young and you get that energy right from from younger yep. people. And and you're getting that now by teaching. Uh, you're teaching at George Mason University School of Theater, right? And and yes. you teach young actors there. And so what do you like about teaching or what is it about teaching that, that appeals to you other than what we just talked about, obviously probably, but but and what do you try to impart? To these young, these young students, some of them we share because I'm also at at George Mason. Yeah, I know it's fantastic.
1: He, it's, but look. to watch uh, them develop, uh, uh, and yeah, if it, if I'm not in the rehearsal room, uh, I get to be in the classroom and engage the material again and again and again. I mean, to me, a, a perfect day is is you know teaching, rehearsing, and performing. It's all hmm. different sides of the same process, because I think a, a working actor is a learning actor, and to be in the classroom to ask the questions, to hear the points of view that, that uh, the young students are coming up with. and It, it keeps you fresh. It keeps you thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I want to impart, uh, uh, what, you know, what questions do you need to ask? Not what the answers are, but what questions mm-hmm. do you need to ask? Uh, to start and, the
0: discovery, right? It's discovery. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Ask the right questions. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not uh, what to think, but how. Mm. And, and and that's something that I, I keep working on for myself, and and try to find the language to, you know, unlock the minds uh, of of young people that uh, uh, that have maybe preconceived notions, or or aren't aware of what other possibilities may be, or might be hooked up to getting it right, mm. and getting past that thing about getting it right, yeah, uh, to be able to just come up with another alternative, yeah, uh, what else could it be? Uh, yeah. and keep generating alternatives, and that's that's scary for young people. You know, it's scary for all people. It's yeah. it's yes. you know, we want to have the right answer and be settled with it, and that's not what artists do. Artists are we want to embrace ambiguity. I think it was Peter Brook that said that his favorite line in all of Shakespeare was was Gloucester's last line, uh, and he says, and that's true too. That <laughs> you know, the notion of, of understanding every single point of view and seeing the truth in every single point of view. Means you could have your own, of course, but as an artist, don't be married to that. That's who you are. Mm. You don't need to bring that into the work because the character that you're playing has a different point of view. So get into that one, but try that one on for size. I mean, after all, we're playing roles. Yes. So
0: expand, expand your experience, expand your sense of what is what is true. Mm-hmm. I find that, that there's. Uh for me, some of the, the same issues I'm dealing with teaching musical theater, but uh, you know that it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, you have to work on it, but uh, the work, the striving towards the perfect, is what's what's worth it, not the perfect itself. And then it'll
1: never, it'll never be perfect. No,
0: exactly. And then abandoning your pre, abandoning your preconceived notions of of things. It, unfortunately, I think a lot of people in in, in high school. Fortunately, they're exposed to Shakespeare, if they are, but a lot of times they get stuck into some sort of way of doing it that they think is the right way, and then it's very hard sometimes to break them out of that. So do you do a lot sure. of work with, 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 with verse, with uh, the language and all that, as well as script analysis, right? You do all the different Absolute, pieces.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. A, a large part of it is, is, is unlearning habits, which I yeah. had to do, We all had to do, to do. coming yeah. up. Sure. We all had habits. We said, oh, it's not that? But it was working so well for me at seventeen. You
0: know? <laughs> right? <laughs> What's wrong? Yeah. yeah. Why do I have to change it? Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's great.
1: I mean, I think you know. Look, we all have intuition and instinct, and that gets us to a certain place where we want to train. And then when you train, uh, you you know you have to sort of move beyond your instinct and intuition in order to form something, so you can eventually go back to your intuition. And your instinct is now informed. Hmm. That you have a you have a a, a a bag of of tools that you can use to to shape and 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 form your your instinct and your intuition into something that's art hmm. and not just an impulse.
0: Right. And you've had a chance, I think, professionally to work with students as well once they've moved on and once they've left uh, university and gone on to in the professional world. You've had a few opportunities to perform on stage with students, right? Of yours, absolutely, former students. Absolutely. That must back feel back great. Uh,
1: Jade Wheeler, who's a, uh, a Mason alum, uh, was on the tour of The Originalist with, with me for a year. We did Florida, we did California, and we did uh, uh, Washington and Chicago.
0: Wow, know? that's that great. It's a thrill. Yeah, that That must be great. That must be a good feeling. But um, so and now with everything that's going on, you know, we're away from the students. We can't see them uh, uh, other than through the computer, which is okay, And we can talk to them through that. And you've moved your have you moved your were you teaching any classes in the in the, the spring? Did you move them online or did you not have to do that? Oh, yeah. That? No,
1: I've yeah. got three. I have full full-time. I have a full load in and you're, spring. And
0: you're teaching online and and, and yep. dealing with the, yep. the limitations of that and also some of the new stuff that comes from that, the creativity right. from that. There's a lot of creative things going on with, with the diff, with the online world and everything that's happening due to, to COVID-19. Um, one of the things I know is you did a uh, recently a production or a, I don't know if you called it a reading or a performance of Lear. On Zoom, uh, with Stacy Keach again. Uh, now, how did this? How did this work, and how did this come about? Talk a little bit about that.
1: There, yes, there's a, an old friend and colleague uh, uh, named Gary Sloan, uh, who I'd worked with several times in the Shakespeare Theater uh, back in the uh, uh, '80s and '90s, um, and he went on to be a professor at uh, Catholic University. Uh, mm-hmm. is is uh, involved in a, a church in uh, Bucks County, and uh, when the COVID thing hit, uh, they were going to do a, a play and he said, well, let's, let's, let me do a class online about Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So let's do a reading, uh, of King Lear. Now, Gary and I had done King Lear at the, at the Folger, uh, years ago, Fritz Weaver played Lear at the time and mm-hmm. another actor named Dan Southern. And, uh, uh and he and Gary had very, been very much involved in uh, Tudor hall, which is a uh, birthplace uh, what we call the birthplace of Shakespeare it was, uh, um, um, the Booth family, A Junius yeah. Brutus
0: Booth bought this place, and hmm. Edwin Booth, America's greatest Shakespearean actor in yes. the 19th century. Um, and of course, John Wilkes. Um, His brother, yes. Was born there, exactly, uh, Lincoln's assassin.
1: Um, and we're trying to preserve that. And Stacy was part of that, uh, helping that happen, as was I. So uh, hmm. I had introduced Stacy and Gary. And on the lark, uh, Gary called Stacey and said, Would you be willing to do this? Because he played Lear. And Stacey said, Absolutely. And then Gary called me and said, would you also be willing to do it with with Stacey? He said, of course. Mm -hmm. So we did a group reading. It was a fundraiser for food banks in, uh, food bank in, uh, it's called uh, uh, Penn Dell, which is Pennsylvania, Delaware, uh, food bank in Bucks County, Mm -hmm. and food banks across the country to assist in the uh, health crisis. And basically rehearsed it with uh, uh, permission from equity and did it live Thursday night it was based on the Orson Welles Peter Brook adaptation, which um, mm. we laughingly say we fixed. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and it uh, was went live with a, a company that was sort of working as a in the background, uh, getting our Zoom feed and being able to change shots and so on and so on. Uh, wow! It was recorded and into streaming uh, on the uh, St. Andrew's website. If you if you just Google. Uh, King Lear, Stacy Keach, Zoom Lear, it will come up and it's available to st- stream today and until uh, tomorrow but it was really interesting to just sort of find our way through the medium mm-hmm. when it's possible uh, and I think we're all going there listen, sure, I don't expect any of us to get back into a room with eight, you know, 500 people for a long time and I know the, the projects that I had set up to do uh, mm. uh much ado the spring and to play in the fall have been pushed back a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Zoom and similar platforms are going to be how we're going to get our work out there. Yes. Uh, so it's fascinating to sort of uh, be on the you know leading edge of that and figure out how that goes and hopefully do some more.
0: And I think it's great that that you and Stacy and all, everyone is 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 doing this sort of, you know, online versions and and I think they need to and and to do it for a good cause that's wonderful too and I think at some point you're right within the next year this will a lot more will move online it just has to there's for theater and and I this is your chance to kind of test it all out and and, and get Get it ready so that when it you have to do it for, you know, hey, maybe it'll get monetized at some point, and people, well, no, I would pay to, to see monetized.
1: it. Now, so we have, look, yeah. so, look, we have to save our jobs. Yes. We have to save the theaters. You know, yes. I think... I would pay to with, see it. With to Washington, for example, you know, when I, you know, like I said, when I came here, it was five theaters, so now 80-something theaters. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's going to happen in the year, year and a half, two years it's going to take before we get back. How many of these theaters are going to survive? Yes, And, you know, uh, and... You know, it's like there'll be a reconstruction phase. So, yeah. Some of my graduate students are saying, "Is this a good time to stay around?" I said, "Well, you know, I came at a good time. It was a ground floor, but this is sort of it'll be ground floor of Washington two Yeah, it will. It will build out again.
0: You'll have to. Uh, yes, it always. Yeah. Yeah. And then just how? And also, you know, we've we've been resisting as as a community, as a theater community. I know. I went. I've been teaching online theater online since 2002 and I went to the AFI conference in 2010 to speak about uh, teaching theater online and oh. I had a lot of crossed arms and a lot of people who looked at me and were not happy and they I almost got like you know <laughs> hustled out of got there it. um and I told them all you know the train to Hogwarts has left the station and you guys aren't on it and That's right. and they didn't like that and so you know listen nothing beats the face to face in the classroom, you know that, and I know that. Um, that's the best way, but you know, there's no reason why digital format can't supplement, complement, add to. Absolutely, I've been teaching.
1: You know, yes. you're absolutely right. I, you know, I've been doing uh, online stuff since 2010. Yes. Right, but the students were in one room, but I was distant. So, but we're able to do live stuff and do yep. do scene. Work.
0: And there's a awesome. new room at, at, at Mason now where you can go, you hear about this, where you can move around the room and it's a 360 degree experience for the students. They can see you everywhere all around as if they were in the room with you. They're just not. They're at home watching from their computers. Which, oh,
1: that's interesting. So that's, that's new technology.
0: That's new, new, That's I, new, new. new. And the theater, uh, the, the school of the theater in Mason now has two rooms where that's doable. Now we have to see how that works and how the dance department is using it. Right now, so you can sign out and use it. So hey, who knows what's going to happen, um, for the next year at least, and then we'll see from there. But so speaking about moving things online and, and also keeping things um, more light, you know, I love food, and I know you like food. I, I know now that you love food by watching your your wonderful um, uh, shows on Facebook. That you're it's on Facebook, right? the, the cooking with Eddie.
1: Yeah, Cooking with Eddie, Mio Cucina. Uh, oh,
0: my favorite kind of food. Okay, so tell us a little bit. Tell us a little about what you're doing with that on Facebook. Well, you know, I've always liked to cook, and I certainly, you know,
1: I come from a family that, you know, in a culture that where, you know, food is love. Mm-hmm. And my mother was a great cook. We always had people over and big tables on Sundays or go to grandma's house and all that thing. And so I learned how to cook, and I loved to cook and, and, and entertain. So my good friend and former colleague Fran Dorn is always is a great cook, too, and she's putting up pictures of her stuff. And I said, all right, all right, <laughs> gauntlet thrown. I've got, I got to do something. Challenge accepted. And, yeah, exactly. So being in isolation and having nothing to do, it was a way to sort of be able to perform. Yes. Uh, to, to do the thing I love to do, which is, is to cook and share food with friends. And uh, so I, uh, on a lark, I did one thing. Uh, and did did uh, this eggplant parmesana, and mm-hmm. people just thought it was. fantastic the fact, they loved it. And I had some funny hats, and you know, chef cap, and uh, uh, I had a, a, a an apron, and it, it took off. People said, "Well, do it again." So I said, "You got to be kidding me, right?" And they said, "No, no, no, do it again." So I did, and I I, I got a YouTube uh, channel, and I started putting stuff on YouTube, and, mm-hmm. and created a page uh, on Facebook, and said, "Let's do it." So I've now done ten episodes. Wow, I've uh, I've, I've, I've uh, enrolled Molly Smith to do uh, uh, an episode and mm-hmm. my good friend uh, Larry Redmond, who's an actor in Washington. Yes. Episode. So it's a way for all of us to sort of, you know, there's a lot of sharing of recipes and so forth, share of recipes. I'm sort of calling this isolation kitchen and COVID <laughs> kuchina. <you know? laughs> uh-huh.
0: Yeah, you but know? it's a great way to bring uh, now you're bringing your friends, but also uh, part of the theater community, uh, who are your friends together, and and for them to share with you, and for us to share by enjoying by watching. I mean, I can smell it through the through the computer. I'm sitting there, it's so jealous. <laughs> well,
1: it's it's fun and it's silly, and if it makes people uh for 15 minutes just you know watch me be an idiot that's that's i'm all happy with that <laughs> do you
0: do takeout and delivery as well
1: <laughs> i don't do that <laughs> that's you know, next I, will say, I do take requests i did a request today yeah
0: well i uh, saw i read i heard what you said in one of the programs about eggplant parmesan where it is in italy it's just parmesan right it's parmesan <laughs> um and i i grew up in in uruguay but my Grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side were were both Italian immigrants and so they also cooked and I never heard of 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 differentiating the parmesan until here either until I came Italian American is very different than Italian but they're both delicious cuisines but um in different ways but so I mean uh Eddie it's been great talking to you and I, I really am I'm just finding uh, where if people want to find cooking with Eddie it's facebook facebook just on like your you page yeah uh, so they Eddie, have to follow yeah, you or, or, my, or yeah or uh, 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 there's a
1: link to it on my website which is edwardgerald.com. okay um it'll be on there too
0: okay great well you know this has been wonderful and i love to end with food because um, i'm getting hungry now for dinner <laughs> and i bet at your house they're lucky they get to get a delicious uh, italian meal sometimes so um thank you well, so when,
1: comes, when we're and you come over I would, that would be a thrill. Oh, I'd love to. I'd
0: love to I'd love to try your cooking and and to have a great conversations and wine that I'm sure goes with it. Nice That's exactly nice right. Chianti. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ed. It's been great and I really appreciate thank your you, time definitely. and you have a great rest of the evening and a great um, I I'm, I will be looking forward to seeing you whether it's on Zoom or on the stage very soon. Thank you my Performing. friend. Performing. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Cheers.